0: Now does anyone know this song? What if God was one of us? Well, that song was written about the time you guys were born. But if you watch Glee, you've probably seen it done since. Right? What if God was one of us? Well, look, I think the song is saying, what if God knew what it was like to be human? What it was like to feel like a slob who makes a mess of things, right? What if, what if God knows what it's like to be a stranger on a bus? Someone who doesn't belong, who feels lost. Maybe even feeling like you don't have a home. What if if God knows what it's like to be alone? No one calling on the phone. Unwanted. What if God was one of us? Hebrews is written to Christians who are in danger of drifting away. Uh, And it's written to say, don't fall away. Don't drift. We saw that yesterday. But the two big things that can cause you to drift... We see it all the time, one's suffering and the other's sin. See, when you suffer, you ask, where is God? Uh, if he cares, why isn't he doing something? Why should I turn to him for comfort? How can he possibly know what I'm going through? And so you end up angry with God and you drift away. Or you sin you do something you wish you'd never done and you feel so guilty and maybe you're stuck in that place and you feel so guilty and you think, I can't go back to God now, not after what I've done and so you drift away and maybe you're not a Christian right now and that's part of it, you suffered and you're angry with God. Or you've sinned and you think, "Man, I, he can't have me. I can't go to God, not after what I've done. Guys, that's exactly the point. That's why Jesus comes to earth. Jesus is exactly the one you and I need. If only God was one of us. And God became one of us. Jesus suffered and so he understands what it's like so we can turn to him and so he can help us and even bigger than that Jesus saves so you can go back to God now even after whatever you've done do you understand what's being said here to walk away from God is to walk away from the only person who can help you you're like a beggar in a street who doesn't want to pick up uh, a, lot, a winning lottery ticket because you've already got too much paper, All right? God is saying, come back or don't drift. Let's have a look at what he's being said. Look, um, the first thing to say is Jesus understands what you're going through. Hebrews 4, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess... You see, it says we have a great high priest. What's a priest? What's a priest? A priest is someone who bridges the gap between us and God. There's a huge chasm or gap, and that's the priest's job. He's the go-between. What's the head, uh, the high priest? He's just a head honcho priest. He's the boss priest, right? He's the top priest. And what Hebrews 4.14 is saying is, we have a great high priest. Jesus is our great high priest. He's the ultimate person who bridges the gap between us and God. And look at what it says in verse 14. He has gone through the heavens. Quite literally, Jesus has gone through the heavens into the very presence of God, is what is being said here, and we'll see what that happens in these verses. So Jesus, he came down to earth, and um, a Jesus became exactly like us in your notes. He became exactly like us. Flick back to chapter uh, two, verse seventeen. Chapter two, verse seventeen. Um, for this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every reason in every way. For what reason? For what reason? Well, just look up a bit before that for verse sixteen. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. Huh? Okay. So Jesus has to become um, like his brothers in every way because he helps Abraham's descendants. That is, the sons of Adam, the daughters of Eve, or us. Or going back up further, you see why? Verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, that's us, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. For surely it's not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful priest, high priest. Right? Um, Jesus became exactly like us he became human he had fingers and hair a mum and a dad and brothers he got tired, he went to the toilet stubbed his toe, laughed and he cried all right? remember the song? what if God was one of us? he, he was one of us in every, just like you and I at BO all right? he farted, got it? fully human, exactly like us. Jesus, point B, was tempted. This Verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but we have one instead who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Jesus didn't become human like some invincible kind of rock man, right? It's not like he had superpowers that meant like he's human, but he's not quite the same as us no no and therefore you know because he's like that he doesn't really get us it's not like that no 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 he became exactly like us which means jesus was tempted to sin in every way like us he knows what it's like but he never gave in all right which tells us it's not a it's not a sin to be tempted all right it's what you do with it that matters okay not only that Point C, Jesus suffered. 5 verse 8, not 5 verse 10 like your know. 5 verse 8. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Jesus knew what it was like to suffer, right? Jesus lived in poverty. He suffered grief, heaps of them. His friend Lazarus dies. Uh, he was abandoned by his friend, rejected, betrayed. He knew loneliness. He spent uh, nights alone, completely alone. He was humiliated, stripped naked, flogged, beaten. Uh, and of course, Jesus would suffer physically be whipped, beaten nails, nails driven through his hands, um, he was hung on a cross. Isaiah 53 prophesied that he would be the man of sorrows. Okay? Afflicted. This one like, knows what it is like to suffer. Alright? Um, in fact, I want to push you guys. Um, we must understand. You see what it says? He, he learned obedience. How can the perfect son of God, who's always been with the Father, need to learn obedience? What was lacking in him that he needed to learn, if he's perfect? Or, pushing you a bit more, 2 verse 10. In bringing men His sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom through whom everything exists, should make the author of, or author of their salvation perfect through suffering. What was not perfect about Jesus? I thought he was already perfect for all eternity. So what needs to take place? What we need to see uh, is that the idea of the word therefore perfect," is the idea of completeness. And it's like the, the father has a road marked out for him, of human existence, and when he completes the road, he fills up by his experience things that he's not yet ex- known, experienced okay so by his suffering he learns obedience in in a way that he couldn't understand before he was human okay that is God the son gets suffering like no one else because as he, he he completed the road marked out for him he knows it perfectly We mustn't think that God is up in heaven and untouched by suffering, remote and distant. No, Jesus knows suffering better than any of us. So D, so he can sympathise and help. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise. The point there is, he can sympathise, he gets it. So when you're going through hard times, um, you know what you want, don't you? You want someone you can talk to and especially if they can say, "I know what that's like." Jesus is someone like that. My, this is a bit close to the bone. My eldest child is disabled. She's 14. She's near eight. Right? That has brought all sorts of grief to me. Right? All sorts of hopes I would have for her that she would grow and talk to me, would have a great relationship, would hang out. One day she would go to school and she would become married. All sorts of hopes. Right? They have just been shattered. Most of my life is chasing her around, shadowing her, changing her, washing her, bathing her, changing her nappies, and she can't talk to me. Who gets that? No one. I, I can try and explain it to you. Can you get it? No. You have no chance. I live in like a parallel universe. But every couple of years, I go away, and there's other families who have children just like my daughter. And you know what? It's wonderful, because they get me. They know what it's like to have a child who smears poo everywhere. They have a chi- understand a child who can't talk, who's now becoming an adult, to know what it's like to go without sleeplessness, and they just get you, and it's wonderful. They, uh, now, they don't get me fully, but I hope you get a, what it's like to have someone who gets you. And the point of the text here is, jesus gets us completely right jesus gets me he understands exactly what it's like to be me with all my hardships and struggles and he understands you and you see the point here is you're supposed to take that to him take it to him he is your best friend he is the rock you can lean on and so pray to him you see that's verse 16 he he can do more than just sympathize he can help verse 16 let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need come to this throne that means pray ask him to help you in your time of need for he will help you but notice um, it says help in your time of need not help out of your time of need doesn't promise to get you out of suffering, promises to get you through suffering Right? why? because God uses suffering often in ways we can't see at the time, right? because he sees the big picture and we just see a little sliver of it over here if you could see what he's doing and, and you know, what, what the whole picture looks like uh, then you'd get it it's worth it, right? You don't understand. We can't see that. So we live by faith. We just see this little bit, this slither. But God hasn't abandoned us. He just sees a fuller picture than you and I. And, uh, and so he uses suffering um, to do all sorts of things, maybe to get our attention, to teach us to trust him, to help us fight sin in our lives, to make us tougher, like exercise. You know, you learn to stick at it because you've developed this toughness, right? Um, Or to help us um, with other people who are then suffering, right? Millions of ways in which God uses suffering in our lives for our good, right? And he promises to help us through suffering. That's the promise of grace, okay? And maybe he gives you a friend as a provision to help on. Or maybe he gives you inner strength. Maybe it's just the ability to hang on to God, As your life crumbles around you, it might not be in the way you expect, but you know that you ask Jesus for help, the promise is He will help you. So come to Him when you are suffering or tempted. If you're hurting, what you need most is a friend. Do not run from Him, come to Him. And you don't need to do it alone. He stands there with his arms out, ready to surround you with his love, ready to listen, to understand, and to be that friend that never leaves you. The promise of Jesus is, I am with you. That little preposition, with, is powerful. Get it, right? He is with us. That's amazing. Come to him when you suffer or are tempted. Um, But that's not all. He doesn't just sympathise. As good as it is, he saves us. See, um, that's point two. Jesus saves, he washes away our sins. Turn with me to chapter 10. And um, as you do that, you might have heard this morning that they almost got a wee given away yesterday. I don't want to be beaten by that. So I'm offering this morning a new car. Does anybody want a new car? We talked about flowers yesterday. um, no, you come up. there. We you come and get my new car. All right, here it is, my new car. Come on down, all right? Now, I might have lied a little bit. It's a new car, all right? Yeah, now let's just look at it. See, what, what do you see there? It's a slight lie because it's actually a new model of a car, right? But what? Do you... that's nice, isn't it? Do you know what it is, what kind of car that is? That's a Hummer, all right? Now, <laughs> There's some rare here. nice. Okay, that is a Hummer. Now, if you look at the picture of this car, this model, it tells you about the real thing, right? Like You go, grab that, okay? That is a Hummer, which means that out in the world, that would, when you saw a Hummer, you would know that's a Hummer, all right? It's... It, it, You can recognise the real thing when you see it, and um, that's what models can do. They're pictures that help us understand things. They help you recognise something. So the question for you this morning is: Why? Why do we have in the Bible the Old Testament, right? Why do we have that section? Do you see it? There's the New Testament. You see how small it is. Why that section? that's an awful lot it's at least two-thirds why is it there Just sit at home at night and read it you'll be there for a while why is it there do we really need it it's a lot of words it took a long time to write there are 50 reasons right? there are 50 reasons why it's there but the big one is the old testament is a picture it's a picture of the real thing look at chapter 10 verse 1 You see, the law is the Old Testament religion, Judaism. Okay? That's what it is. 10 verse 1. For the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. It's a shadow. It's a picture. It's a model, not the real thing. And and pictures or models help you understand something. They help you recognize someone. And everything in the Old Testament is actually a picture of... Pointing to Jesus so that we would recognize him when he would come. It teaches us about him. And he, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, spends a lot of time in all the chapters showing that Jesus is the better reality than the Old Testament things themselves. Okay? So here's a few things to give you a picture of what's going on in Hebrews. I'll just you might not understand them all, but just get a feel for this. See, Jesus is a true and better prophet, Jesus is a true and better priest. Jesus is a true and better king. Jesus is a true and better Moses. Jesus is a true and better um, rest in the true and better promised land, heaven. Jesus brings a new and better covenant. Jesus is a true and better temple. Jesus is a true and better sacrifice. So Jesus is a true and better salvation. Alright? Now maybe that went over your head, but I hope you got the picture. What's a take-home message? When you read the Old Testament, you look for pictures that help you recognise Jesus. In fact... The Old Testament's a one way street, a one way, all the way pointing to Jesus. That's 2 Corinthians 1. It tells us no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Okay? So when you read the Old Testament, you're thinking, how's this point to Jesus? Got it? Good. One thing that it's supposed to teach us is in verse 3. Point B sacrifices show there's a gap between us and God. See, but those, the, those sacrifices, verse 3, are an annual reminder of sin. You see, there's a problem between you and God. It's called sin. I've got the same problem. The Bible says that God is so pure that he hates even to look at anything that's evil. And we do evil. Now, imagine your entire life was filmed and put on a DVD. And we showed it up on the screens here at FAT. Imagine, and the nightly viewing was your life everything you've ever done and then we audio put in everything you said and then we audioed in everything you've thought or i've thought and said and done all Right, all the worst things you've thought about and said and done loud and clear so that we could all hear it and we showed it a movie would you want to watch it Would you want us all to watch it? Man, I wouldn't. I'd do almost anything to not watch myself and not have you watch it. We wouldn't want each other to watch it. What if God saw it? There's a problem between us and God, isn't there? It's a big problem. And the Old Testament gives us a 3D model to show us that. It's a physical picture of the problem. That's what the temple is. Chapter 9, verse 2, back to chapter 9, verse 2. A tabernacle was set up, that means a temple. In its first room was the lamp, with a lampstand, the table, and the consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place. You see the picture? You probably can't see it back there. It's actually in your book page. I don't know what page it is now, towards the end, if you can't see But look, just quickly, I don't know if I can get that close to it. This, they're out, it's an Exodus, right? They're in the desert. God gets them to make up a tent. Literally, that's the tent. See the outside wall, and the people of Israel get to come into this bit here, okay? And then there's this other curtain, the curtain between there, and this is the holy place. And then the Ark of the Covenant is whacked in this bit in here, and this is called the Most Holy Place, all right? Now, who gets to go there? The priests. And once a year, who gets to go there? The high priest. Good. You guys are good with this stuff. Excellent. Okay. And the most holy place represents where God was. Okay. What the whole thing says to you all the time as it stands in the middle of the camp is this, is what? What do you think it shouts to you? You can't come in. There's a gap. You can't come into the very presence of God. You are separated from him. Look at verse 6. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood. The whole thing is deliberately set up to visually show the gap. You can't come to God. Uh, And only the high priest comes in once a year, and it says, never without blood. Right Now, um, what's the most blood you guys have ever seen? Anybody's got a really cool blood story? Lots of blood? Come on, there's gotta be some good ones out in this crowd. Actually, is there any fans we can get going? It's getting hot in here, you're gonna start going on me, sleepy what's that? Blood? Blood on blood stories. I saw a little girl at my primary school wrist open and out like... Yeah, that's 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 gore. Scott. That's a good blood story, that's not, all right, I'm back here, shh, shh. Uh, what is that noise, I don't know, mm. shh, 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 that's a good blood story. Okay, blood, all right, it's disturbing, it's gross, you don't like to touch it, it's sticky, all right, it's horrifying, in fact, in our society we try and remove it, so you can't, you don't see it much, it's in abattoirs, right, where they they kill the animals that we like to eat, all right, but in the Old Testament, do you know what, God put it front and centre, blood was everywhere at the altar, you literally came up there with your goat, and, and, they, and they would cut the throat and sprinkle the blood on everybody. Literally, we'd be pouring out blood like this. Blood everywhere. Blood! You know what it was saying? It's saying, because sin was associated with blood, right? It's a couple of things. It's horrific, and that's how sin is to God. But the second thing is, the punishment for sin is a life. Because how do you get blood? you've got to kill somebody you've got to take their life and so when you walk into the intersection with their blood it's representing the life the punishment for sin is death all right the life of a creature is in the blood leviticus 17 and you've sinned and i've seen a sacrifice it shows that we deserve death either you die or someone else dies as a substitute and you go through free and when we say death we mean physical death and a spiritual death. Spiritual death is called hell, where you are separated from God eternally, right? So sacrifices showed there's a problem between you and I and God. We've sinned. We can't, God can't stand the sight of us. Sin's horrific to him as blood is to us. The punishment we deserve is death. We can't come to God. That's where the picture and the sacrifices show us. Have you owned the problem? You see the problem and you own it. Point C, but how can the blood of bulls and goats take away sin? See, so how do you fix the problem? Hebrews 10, verse 4, and point C in your books is they can't because it's impossible for the blood of bulls to goats to take away sins. as human life is sinned. How can um, sacrificing a goat um, help? It can't. In fact, nothing can take away sins. Now, how much you do, um, the sin's still there. Going to church won't help. Praying to God won't help. Trying really hard won't help. There's nothing you can do that will help. In fact, the book of Ezekiel in the Old Testament is written, the first two thirds is basically saying that you've got one real danger. And that is to think you've got hope. That you can do something. Whatever you do, the book shouts at you as you read on and on, don't ha- you don't have any hope. There's nothing you can do. You must own complete hopelessness. Humanly speaking, you can't do anything. Got it? There's nothing you or I can do to fix it. There's nothing you and I can do to fix it. Have you ever realised that before? So what can bridge the gap between you and God? Well, there's only one thing. Point D. The real thing, Jesus sacrificed himself to take away your sin. Have a look at verse 10. The word holy he means pure or clean. And by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. A human life has sinned and we need a human life to pay the price. That's why Jesus came to earth. He became a human so he can swap his life for ours. He paid the price. Why? Because he loves you. Here's a story that may help you understand. A boy your age starts to feel pain in his chest. Doctors tell him, do some tests. The tests come back that he's got a problem with his heart. Unless he gets a new heart, in a few months he'll die. So they put him on the organ donor list. He tries the best to find a donor, but of course he's a rare blood type. And so they can't find anyone. As the months go on, they become desperate. They put ads in the paper, still no one. They can't find anyone. And of course with a heart, um, the only way you get a replacement heart is a living person has to have died. Um, Or he will die. So they need someone with the same blood type, of um, with that heart to, to, to die and then you have to quickly take it out so that you could do the transplant All right? well of course in time the dad realises actually he's got the same blood type so know what he does he goes to the hospital with a gun stands in the corridor outside the room and shoots himself that's what Jesus did for us That's how much he loves you. You know what that means? You know what it means? What it means is, what the book of Hebrews is shouting to you is, what we have here is a violent grace. I hope you've got that. God himself has committed great violence to himself, bloodied himself, to bring us grace, to treat us not as we deserve. That's what the book of Hebrews is saying. God has violently pursued us. Ruthlessly pursued us to hug us and draw us near. That's the book of Hebrews. You must understand God the Father has pursued you against your will and done a violent thing to himself to bring you home. Got it? Violence. So so, your sins can be forgiven verse 17 then he adds their sins and lawless acts i will remember no more and where these have been forgiven there is no longer any sacrifice for sin see jesus blood washes away our sins completely permanently so you can be forgiven if you've been forgiven then what's left for you to do do you need to offer more sacrifices you need to do more good stuff to go to heaven no you see and all the religions of the world are all about doing stuff, right? All about doing stuff. Pray three times to Mecca, wash yourself in the Ganges, uh, the seven sacraments of um, the Roman Catholic system, you use up grace, you go to Mass, you get, you get a top of it. All about doing stuff. And it's all a lot of rubbish. Got it? It's a lie from the devil. Is that clear enough? It says, if you do this, you'll get right with God. But it doesn't do anything. And the book of Hebrews, we had time, was actually showing the whole thing was an illustration it's insufficient. The whole sacrificial system doesn't do anything. No, we need something that is done for us. Where there's nothing left to do. And that is Christianity. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. All you need to do is trust Jesus and what he has done for us. To save you. Remember, we said at the start the priest is the person who bridges the gap between us and God, and Jesus is our great high priest. He bridges the gap between us and God by taking away our problem, sin. So, point three. So, through Jesus, we can draw near to God. So, look at what that means. 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened up for us through the curtain. That is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, in other words, the separation is gone. We are right with God. We can go right to God. Since that, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from our guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. We can now have a relationship with God. And I suspect often we have struggled to pray with God pray because we feel God is disappointed with us. What we need to understand by faith is, this verse is saying no. If you've come to God through Jesus, he is not disappointed with you at all. Your hearts are sprinkled clean. No matter what you've done, it doesn't matter how bad you are, uh, it, Jesus has dealt with it. I've talked to people Talked about all sorts of sins. They slept with so-and-so. God can't forgive me. I'm too bad. He can. If you've come through Jesus, to Jesus. He, ha- he does, has, he has done it. It is dealt with, past tense. Jesus is the one who washes away our sins. It's gone. You're forgiven. Jesus is no longer disappointed with you at all. I think we need to think through our prayers. Often, even as Christians, we pray... Um, Please forgive me because I did such and such. Lord, I'm really sorry for doing this again today. I'm really sorry about this again today. I I lied and I didn't treat this person right. and, And I get it at one level. It's a relationship and you want to confess your sins. But at another level, it's most unhelpful. Because your sins, past, present, future, for all time, have been dealt with you are forgiven you don't need to repent if you trust in jesus you are fully forgiven got it and that little thing of confession jesus death has dealt with it once for all nothing else has to be done and subtly as we pray that kind of prayer which says i'm sorry about this you kind of may twist in your mind how you think god thinks of us We have to do good, we have to do these things. That God's posture is a certain posture towards us. You see, God is not standing far away with his back to you, kind of, and his arms crossed and a frown on his face. That is not the posture of God. You see, the posture of God is his, his, his front on, arms wide open, and his eyes are full of love. There's a warm smile on his face, and he's running towards us. Walking us home. That is the posture of God. Your sins have been dealt with, right? He is for us because of Christ crucified. He's saying, "I want a relationship with you. We can draw near to God if you've accepted Jesus' sacrifice. so it's only Jesus who takes away sins, and so this only applies to you if you've made Jesus your Savior and King. Are you sure Jesus has taken away your sins? Well, it's very simple to work out. Basically, if you've trusted in Jesus and his sacrifice to make you clean, and if you've turned from your sins to live for Jesus from now on. There's a bit in the booklet that talks about that if you're not quite sure what it means to become a Christian. But if you're 100% sure that you've done those things, you've trusted and you've turned, okay then you're a Christian. Okay, And, uh, And if not, maybe in the next few days, take time, think about it. But that's, that's all you've got to do to become a Christian. It's not magic. You trust, and you turn, and you put your trust. You're a Christian. Your sins are forgiven, and you can trust at any time. See, Jesus, why wait? Jesus stands ready to forgive you, to give you a relationship with God, so you can be with him forever in heaven. Okay? I would urge you to decide this week to give your life to Jesus if you haven't already. All right, finally. If you have turned and trusted, here's three good things. Enjoy the sweet release of sins forgiven, right? You are clean, okay? Now, many of you will have experienced when you've become a Christian, there's just that weight off your shoulders, all right? Oh, it's, I'm clean. I am forgiven. All that guilt that you're carrying, it's gone. And uh, I want to urge you remind yourself of that by faith you are forgiven no matter what you're done or stuck you are forgiven by jesus blood in your place okay Two, live with hope hebrews ten twenty three. let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for for he who promised is faithful if jesus washed away your sins you will go to heaven when you die no matter how bad things get in this life you have that to look forward to um so therefore live in hope that is a sure hope we'll look at it a bit more tomorrow but it helps with you as you suffer right what is god doing about it why doesn't he fix it Well, he has it's called heaven and he's offering us the chance to go there the problem isn't that god hasn't fixed it um it's whether we want the solution the solution is jesus that's his name And if you have him, then you can live in hope. Point three, if you're going to heaven, drag as many as you can with you. Tell them about Jesus. Uh, Look around you. Don't you want all these guys to be with heaven with you for all eternity? Ultimately, it's up to God, but you can help them get there. We need to be a loving, encouraging youth group that looks out for each other, all right? all right so there's the question are you drawing near to god when your life falls apart don't run from god draw near to god through jesus because he knows what you're going through he can sympathize he'll help you through it don't run away from the one who you need the most and when you stuff up and you sin and you will no matter what you resolve on fat you're going to go home and you know what you're going to sin again and again but draw near to Jesus. You don't need to beat yourself up with guilt. Jesus has washed away your sins and he is washing away your sins permanently. And when you hit suffering or sins, draw near to God. If you're a Christian, enjoy that relationship. Pray, read the Bible, talk to him, trust him, spend time with him. If you're not a Christian, turn and trust him. So you can draw near to God. There's a challenge. Are you? Are you drawing near to God? I'll pray. Father, we thank you that we have one who is just like us, our high priest, the Lord Jesus, who came and became a man and became one of us and knows fully in every way what it is like to experience suffering and temptation, but to stand and be unlike us and never give in and ultimately to stand in our place upon the place of sacrifice upon the cross, so that once and for all our sins could be dealt with. Father, we thank you for that. We pray for those here who don't yet know you, that they would would, uh, put their trust in Jesus and know the forgiveness that he offers. And we pray for the rest of us that we would enjoy the relationship we have with you, knowing our sins are forgiven and drawing near to you in full confidence of faith. Father, we pray this for all of us for the rest of our days until we will see you face to face and we ask these things in jesus name amen